G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, we like to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby, Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the ACL, on the line with us once again. Good morning, Martin. Welcome along. G'day, Neil. Good to be with you. Martin, let's start with a concerning high correlation between autism and referrals to a clinic for kids wanting to change their gender and requiring a a full federal inquiry into these clinics. Uh, That's what you're calling for. Uh, Give us some insights here into how this issue of autism connects with uh, the idea of changing gender. Well, it's a very important question, Neil. This refers to what's been increasingly happening in Australia in relation to children who have what is called gender dysphoria. They start to suspect or they start to uh, voice concern uh, around feeling like they are not their birth sex, that they are some other gender, uh, usually a boy in a girl's body or something like this. Now, these sorts of uh, experiences used to be treated in a, in a, in a what uh, Professor John Whitehall, Professor of Paediatrics at the University of Western Sydney, calls a watchful waiting approach, where you just wait and usually, uh, in fact, literally nine times in ten, it passes. But because ideology has gotten into this area of treating children, they're doing affirmative care, which is different. What it is is it basically says, okay, son, you feel like a girl, then immediately what we need to do is put you in a dress and give you female pronouns and start thinking about what's next. And as a result, we have seen more than a 1,000, 1,000% increase in children, minors on hormone therapy in gender clinics around Australia in four years. Now, the other side of this is that what nobody asks the question, what's causing the child to feel this way? Because the activists are saying, no, this is normal, natural and healthy, whereas those who have been around a bit longer and those who have common sense say, no, this is, this is not good. Like, you know, you don't want to send a kid down this pathway lightly. And I'll never forget a conversation I had with Walt Heyer, who was one of the first ever gender reassignment patients in the world back in the late 50s. And Walt lived as a trans woman. He was a man, he transitioned to become, you know, physically in the surgical procedures, a woman, lived that way for a number of years, ultimately um, didn't solve his problems, in fact, caused all sorts of pain. And he transitioned back and now he runs a transgender regret counselling ministry, which is global. And he has thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people from all over the world contacting him from between one day and nine years after surgery to say, you know, my life's actually a mess, I need help. And he's a wonderful Christian man. Walt, he was converted in the process of his own detransition, uh, and he does this as a ministry. But I'll never forget him saying, whenever he sits down with one of these people to talk to them, and he flies all over the place to meet them, he sits down and he asks them, what went wrong? What was it that put you on this path? And he said, about 50% of the time, they will say to him, I was sexually abused as a child. And he said about 40% of the time, they will say to him, I had autism 
or I had some uh, psychosis or I had some uh, mental disturbance. Because when it comes to things like autism, you have children who get fixated on things. And if you put these ideas in their head or you make this something for them to get an interest in, they can really find it very hard to shake um, out of their mind. And they can become uh, really unduly concerned over it. Or um, the other thing is that with autistic children, uh, changes can be difficult for them. And this usually happens around the time of puberty. Uh, and here's an opportunity for puberty blockers and all the rest of it. And so autism is actually a huge risk factor. And when children have an educator come into their classroom and say, hey, do you know what, gender's a spectrum. Hey, do you know what, you're not necessarily a boy. You're not necessarily a girl. It's the poor autistic children who already have a number of things to work through that this starts to worm its way into their thinking. Uh, and that's what we're seeing more and more. And, of course, what we're pushing for and have been pushing for for a while is an inquiry into the way that this affirmative care model has been rolled out throughout Australia by activists without proper oversight. It needs to be stopped because I believe it is, it, is, uh, it, is, it is really, really harming a generation of children. Uh, Martin, correct me if I'm wrong here, because it may be an overstatement, but it seems to me that politicians of all persuasions tend to lack courage to defend the science here and uh, preferring ideological positions that put all these kids at risk. What are your thoughts here? This is so frustrating, Neil. Uh, politicians are terrified of the issue and they're so terrified that they can't even stand up for children. And I, I, I'm, you know, uh, forgive me if I sound a bit ticked off when I say that because I sort of am. Uh, I've been sort of doing this work for five years now in lobbying and they will not touch it with a barge pole uh, and it was way back uh, five years ago, four years ago that Safe Schools was first rolled out for example into Australian schools we went to see education ministers in every state over that, nobody would touch it, they just wouldn't touch it and you'd think you'd sit there as a parent uh, as, a, as a minister uh, uh, in politics and, and look at this and think my goodness I've got to do something nope, not at all, why? Because it was controversial and they don't have the guts to deal with it um, the only way, I might add, that this uh, is going to get dealt with properly is with people power. Um, what politicians are starting to realise, and they should have realised this a long time ago, is that overwhelmingly the Australian public are deeply concerned about this. Um, and they did some polling recently on this and there was something like 80% of people were, were, you know, um, disagreed with it, were concerned about it and this kind of thing. I mean, it's a huge number. And so they are finally getting the memo that the public really don't like this and the public are really concerned about their children. Surprise, surprise. And it's with that knowledge that the politicians are finally going to act. I think that's really sad because it takes a political uh, sort of uh, motive rather than a moral motive for a politician to do something on something so important. But finally, we're getting to the place where we can persuade them because we have the polls, we have the public sentiment, uh, and they've just got to understand that uh, they don't have to virtue signal to their colleagues. They have to do the right thing by the people of Australia. And certainly the idea that as a Christian community, we might have a higher expectation of our politicians to act courageously and defend children. Hey, there's, there's lots of all sorts of different uh, issues around the world with regard to Black Lives Matter. Uh, but there was a rally in Perth on the weekend and... Uh, and the West Australian reported 10,000 people attended a rally in Perth. But before the rally, Pastor Margaret Court 
uh, criticised the double standard for protesters on one hand and churches on the other hand uh, regarding large gatherings. Uh, what are your thoughts around uh, Pastor Margaret Court's comments there, Martin? Oh, I think it's a very fair and obvious thing to uh, to say. Uh, uh, all Australians are looking on at what's been happening with the rallies and so forth and the fact that there are premiers who have effectively turned a blind eye to what's happened and they've sort of gone, well, hang on a second, <laughs> what's the last few months been about? Uh, I've stayed home as I was asked to. Uh, I've not gone to church as I was asked to. Uh, I haven't gone to my family member's funeral as I was asked. Uh, and actually, is for myself personally, I had a family member die uh, during this period and I didn't go to the funeral. Um, and I otherwise most certainly would have. Uh, and you, you go through all the sacrifices that Australians have made. You go through the ongoing restriction. And then this happens. And I just think what it does is it makes everybody look at it and become extremely cynical with the state of things as they are with politicians and power and all the rest of it at the moment, where you go, is this a political thing rather than a, a, a principle thing? Just because your side or the, the popular side of politics, you know, the left side want to create a ruckus and have a riot, we turn your blind eye to them. But, you know, if a church was to meet with, you know, 10,000 people in it, I mean, it really would be third world war. We all know that. Uh, so I, I think that what Margaret Court said is very reasonable. And therefore, I think that what Black Lives Matter has done uh, is, is, is completely wrong. Uh, I don't think two wrongs make a right. I'm not sure that it's the right thing to respond by breaking the rules. But I do think it's worth watching what's happened uh, and saying, well, are we going to have an outbreak of coronavirus cases or not from this? And if not, then what are we doing? Why are borders still closed? Why are... Uh, gathering limits so low? Why are there still restrictions on important events like weddings and so forth? So uh, I think that this is a conversation that needs to be had. I'm glad Margaret Court's jumped in. Uh, I think everybody needs to jump in and chip away uh, at the double standard. And if it's time to open the economy, open it. Because there's two sides to this. It's not just about, well, lockdowns are going... If you don't lock down, then you could spread the virus. If you do lock down, you're actually destroying people's livelihoods. So there's no cost-free answer to this conundrum. And uh, those who think that there's, it's all one way or the other, that's wrong. You've got to try and plot a middle path that, that balances out those costs. And I'm starting to think, well, the cost of the lockdown, the economic carnage, the loss of people's businesses, the, the depression issues and all the rest of it, seem to be starting to outweigh the risk of getting the virus if these protests are anything to go by. And there's this issue too around whether the church is an essential service, essential enough to be an important part of the community and to have some level of priority in seeing openings for the welfare of people. I noticed that one church in Brisbane has uh, has paid for a full-page ad uh, in the Courier Mail in Brisbane and uh, calling on the Premier in Queensland to consider the church to be an essential service. What are your thoughts around that idea? Yeah, look, I think that's exactly right. And I guess it's one of the sad reflections of uh, our society as it has become, that church is considered to be, you know, one of the lower order importance things. Uh, it's never been considered an essential service throughout this entire pandemic. Uh, they've never tried to, you know, work too closely with churches. Churches were forgotten in New South Wales when the restrictions were lifted uh, in the first round and, and so on. And I think that's a reflection of where we are culturally. And you're right, Neil, church is an essential service. And I know that a lot of politicians and a lot of journalists don't go to church, but a lot of Australians do. I mean, a lot of Australians do. Uh, and they're people of faith. 
And I think we've remarked before that uh, in secular terms, what the church is doing is looking after people's mental health. Uh, and that's the way that they could at least see it. Uh, and in times like this, that's pretty important. Um, in fact, that's of supreme importance. But overall, uh, it, it does reflect the fact that I do believe that uh, decades ago, in Australia, uh, they would have considered church an essential service. They would have had a day of prayer uh, about the pandemic. They would have done things like that, but we've changed. And uh, maybe it's more opportunity for Christians now to have boldness, to stand up and speak. Uh, I, I really respect Margaret Court for saying that. And uh, I do think that uh, in the face of a changing culture, we need to be more bold than ever about speaking the truth on this subject. And hey, there were a number of protests around the nation on the weekend and uh, not just the one in Perth, there were others as well. And of course, there were other things happening behind the scenes uh, in one uh, issue around a Black Lives Matter protest. Uh, vandals have defaced and pulled down statues here in Australia and uh, statues of former prime ministers. Uh, there's a threat to the statue of uh, Captain Cook. Uh, what are your thoughts around the attacks on those st- uh, statues over the weekend, Martin? Oh, I think it's very juvenile. Um, I, I've looked around the world at the statues that are being attacked and, and the protesters tend to just go willy-nilly and vandalise and they've even accidentally vandalised and pulled down statues by you know, popular uh, abolitionists, people who uh, wanted to abolish the slave trade. They've uh, even vandalised the, the, the memorial, uh, one of the memorials in the US to um, uh, one of the... Um, uh, one of the groups of uh, soldiers that was involved in the Civil War, but it was—it so happened that it was actually an entirely black regiment. So they've vandalised that, and they're just—they're they're going willy-nilly. And I think if we're going to start erasing history, we're going to start burning books and tearing down statues and rewriting the past in order to fit our own uh, personal sensitivities about the world, as if we've got a moral monopoly on everything. Uh, and, you know, it might be someone like Winston Churchill who did amazing things uh, for the United Kingdom and, uh, you know, led a country through one of the most important wars of the 20th century. Uh, you might say it shouldn't have happened. Of course it shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. Uh, and it was so important that uh, actually the UK won that war because they were up against some pretty dark forces. And, uh, you know, even his statue has been boarded up for protection from vandalism. I mean, is this the way we're going to go? Are we going to start saying, well... I've got a moral monopoly on history. Everyone's been wicked in the past. I'm good, and I'm going to go around and make sure that my universe looks perfect to me. I never have to have a negative thought. I never have to be upset because the whole universe is going to be designed around my feelings. It's a very narcissistic and pretty awful thing to do, but it reflects something deeper about the Black Lives Matter movement, and I've been pushing this very hard because Christians need discernment on this. Uh, Of course, all Christians are against racism, but my goodness, Black Lives Matter is no friend of Christianity. Uh, They even have a thing on their Facebook page saying posts that preach the gospel will be deleted. Uh, And they stand for abortion. They stand for the destruction and dismantlement of the nuclear family. Uh, They stand for uh, transgender liberation, queer affirmation. It goes on and on. But most of all, they're Marxists. They stand for the overthrow of the Western Uh, what they call hegemony, the culture, the society. They stand for the overthrow and destruction of our institutions because they say, well, we have systemic racism. And you say, where? Show me. And I say, no, it's systemic. And you say, well, point me out a racist. You know, we'll we'll punish him. No, no, it's systemic. It's in the system. What does that mean? Well, the only solution is not to punish the racist, but it is to destroy the system. 
So they would like to see Parliament gone. They would like to see the police force gone. They would like to see the court system gone. They would like to see all the statues torn down and everything that symbolises the past done away with. They're a radical Marxist movement built on anger and resentment destruction. So we can't join hands with them. And it's very, very important that people see that statues can fall down and realise where this is ultimately headed. Well, and it's a challenging time then, isn't it? And uh, just... Uh, just to refer and reflect in the fact that, uh, you know, in our own broadcast, our conversation today, uh, being broadcast into somewhere something like 40 communities around Australia that are predominantly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, and that a lot of Christian people are in uh, some ways uh, empathetic uh, with those issues of uh, incarcerations uh, at a higher level of uh, those uh, Uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. And so it becomes very challenging, doesn't it, when you've got what is a Marxist movement and anti-Christian movement and uh, listeners to our conversation from those communities uh, might be thinking, hang on, I'm a Christian, but I'm wanting to support uh, some of these issues. They've got to tread very carefully and choose who they put their support behind. Uh, We're running out of time here, but any quick uh, comment on that for for people who are coming from uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander background listening into our conversation today, Martin, wondering how they balance uh, their own ideas and their understanding of some of those dark periods in Australia's history uh, with being a Christian today? Yeah, I mean, it's so important to realise that these sorts of movements tend to carry labels that are that, that, that make you look very bad for disagreeing with them. So, for example, safe schools, that's another example of a, you know, one of these radical uh, movements, and, and they say that they're there to make schools safe. Well, everyone knew that they were never there to make schools safe. It turns out that there are transgendered and uh, LGBT movements to young people. Uh, and so you go, oh, hang on, there's more than meets the eye here. This is not good. Or you can look at something like Extinction Rebellion, What are they doing? Well, they care about the environment. And if you're against Extinction Rebellion, you don't care about the environment. Well, actually, they're a radical group. They want to destroy the system and wreck the joint. They're the same crowd. And then the same crowd goes and gets a a very, very attractive label like Black Lives Matter. Who in their right mind doesn't think that Black Lives Matter? Of course we do. (laughs) You know, who as a Christian, you know, the gospel goes to every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You know, the gospel goes to whosoever will. It's the greatest equality in the world. It restores all people to Christ. It saves every person, no matter who they are. We love all people. Uh, I don't think about people in terms of race. I think of them as persons. But, you know, Black Lives Matter, it's an attractive label, hard to disagree with, and it masks something deeper. It masks the same crowd that are behind those other movements. And it's a very nasty bit of work. And so what I would say is, look, let's, let's support um, uh, all the good things uh, that are being talked about. Uh, but we don't have to join hands with a movement and, give, and empower a movement that is actually anti-Christian and anti-gospel very, very, very powerfully at its core. So it's a question of discernment. Of course, we absolutely stand or uh, hating racism and all those sorts of things. But as a movement, this is a big problem, and it's probably just an alarm I'd like to sound, uh, just so that everybody has that clarity, and I've been trying very hard to make that clear over the last week. Well, Martin Isles, good clarity in the way that you're able to articulate a Christian position on these issues. Let me point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website to glean some more detail because there's all sorts of great resources and articles on the Australian Christian Lobby website. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. It's acl.org.au, acl.org.au. 
www.org.au. Martin, thanks so much for the update today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.